Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we bless you and thank you for this day and for this time. And we pray now that everything that we do and say will be pleasing in your sight. Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord. We're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but your word, God, will forever last. God, we're ready for your word. May your word find fertile ground in our hearts and minds. And we would be more than hearers, we would be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who is the most prideful person you have ever known? Who is the biggest boaster? The one who bloviates the most about their accomplishments, their beauty, their charm, their intelligence. Uh, for many, uh, we would probably come to a consensus and, and say it was Muhammad Ali. Right? He would proudly boast, I am the greatest. We might have to change our vote now with our current president in place. Because in his mind, he's the greatest president of all time, of everywhere in the universe, you know. But, but I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that while we can think about people who are boastful and think about people who are braggadocious and think about people who are prideful, I would submit to you today that maybe the most prideful person you know is you. Now, for those of you who say, well, no, I don't have pride, you might have a second issue to deal with as well, and that's lying. You see, whether we want to admit it or not, all of us, all of us, deal with some pride. It's such a problem <coughs> Excuse me. It's such a problem that the Lord put in the word of God a parable. A parable to teach us that pride is an enemy of God. Today I want to talk to you for a few moments from the thought, the blessing of an humble spirit. The blessing of an humble spirit. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. the blessing of an humble spirit. Now, one of the things that we know when we look at the biblical record, pride is something that the world has had to deal with from the beginning of creation. From Lucifer leading a third of the angels in revolt against God to the devil tempting Eve with the desire to know what God knew. 
there's always this sense that we have to do battle with pride in our flesh. The pride that says you must be something. The pride that says you must do something. The pride that says you must be recognized to be something. And my brothers and sisters, too many times in life, we function in the realm of pride without even realizing it's pride that we're operating in. To guard against this, Jesus gives us this parable. And he says something in verse 9 that I think should resonate with all of us. He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Those who trusted in themselves and thought that they were righteous. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, you need to realize humility will help you put your trust in God, not yourself. Humility will help you put your trust in God, not yourself. He said he also told this parable of some who trusted in themselves, some who felt completely self-sufficient, some who were relying totally on who they were and felt no need for anyone else. And the question you may ask is, how do I know if I am trusting in myself? How do I know if I have a problem of self-righteousness? How do I know if I have a pride problem? Well, I believe the text gives us some examples. Look at A. When you trust in yourself, you practice self-righteousness. When you trust in yourself, you practice self-righteousness. Now, you may not believe this, but the overwhelming majority of people have self-righteousness all within them. It doesn't matter what they do or how they live. There's a self-righteousness that resides in them. Let me give you an example. The biggest hellion you know somehow thinks there's a place in heaven for them. I don't care how a person lives. I don't care how. I've never heard anybody say, you know what? I'm going to hell. I'm going straight to hell. I'm not passing gold. I'm not collecting $200. I'm going straight to hell. Never heard anybody say that. I don't care how raggedy the life is. There's a place in heaven for them. I don't care how people deny the deity of Jesus, there's a place. There are folk who are atheists who think they're going to go to heaven. Because everybody has this self-righteousness about them. And typically, that self-righteousness is fueled in comparing ourselves to other people. Now, I want you to know something about comparison. We typically compare ourselves to people who are doing worse than we are so we can look a whole lot better, right? And if you really want to compare yourself to somebody and you really want to do better, compare yourself to Jesus. Like stand next to him. Don't look at somebody who's raggedy and you know they're raggedy 
and then say, see, I'm doing better than they are. Right? Like, you're not the husband you need to be, but you want to pick out a husband that you know is raggedy and say, well, at least you're not married to him. <laughs> or at least you're not married to her. Right? It's like, no. When will you make the commitment to be all that God has called you to be? Look at B. When you trust in yourself, you look down upon others, treating them with contempt. The comparison that we make when we are self-righteous, is a comparison that puts us higher than somebody else. So what the Lord says is this. Whenever you compare yourself to somebody or you look down upon somebody else, whether you realize it or not, you are being self-righteous. You may not call it self-righteousness. You may call it honesty. And I believe Jesus would say, you are honestly being self-righteous. <laughs> Whenever you compare yourself to somebody and you look at them with disdain, they use the word contempt literally to count as nothing, to see as unimportant, to see or view as insignificant. He says, whenever you look at somebody like that, you are right now, you are at that moment functioning at a place of self-righteousness. Whenever it's easier for you to pick out what's wrong with somebody else and you live in denial of what's wrong with you, you are walking in self-righteousness. Look at 1 Corinthians 8 two. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 30, verse 12. Let's read it together. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. It's the man who can see a toothpick in somebody else's eye, but can't see the two by four in his own eye. God said that is the root and spirit of self-righteousness, and I got news for you. If you can amen what I just said, thinking about what's wrong with somebody else and not thinking about yourself, you are being self-righteous right now. Here's the second thing. Number two you need to realize your humility will be reflected in how and what you pray. Your humility will be reflected in how and what you pray. Two brothers go to the temple. They've got some things in common. First of all, they go to the house of prayer to pray. That's a good thing. Secondly, they stand, which is the proper posture for praying during this time. Thirdly, they seek God. But one has a conversation with God from the place of self-righteousness and their own personal justification, and one has a conversation with God based on their acknowledgement of who they are and who God is. Here's the Pharisee. He is the religious superhero of that day. He leaps tall Bibles in a single bound. 
faster than a speeding doctrine. Knows the law backwards and forwards. And look at his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he calls the role extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, one of the keys to identifying self-righteousness is when you specifically call out sins that are not your sins. Now, you know this man is sitting there. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust in his eyes. He's not an adulterer, and he is not a tax collector. So he's going to call out some other folk and what's wrong with them. He's not going to call out his own sins because he couldn't be self-righteous in his own sin. And isn't that what we're doing with self-righteous? We call out what's wrong in somebody else and say, ooh, I sure thank God that I'm not like, ooh, I mean, this self-righteous man doesn't even say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because watch this. If he recognized it wasn't, if it wasn't for the grace of God, he would be there. He would also have to recognize that the same grace of God that changed his life could change their life. And so when you recognize that the grace of God is what changed you, you also recognize and embrace the opportunity of God's grace to be moved through you, to be a blessing to somebody else. When you start using phrases like them people and those folk, and I don't want to live around them, or I stay away from them, who is them? Who are they? Those who are beneath you? Those who are where you used to be? When in actuality, that's probably where most of us still are. This man thanks God, but he gives God no credit for who he is or where he is. And then watch what he does. He talks about what he doesn't do, and then he talks about what he does do. I fast twice a week. Now, you know, that's a spiritual heavyweight, right? I mean, I fast twice a week, tithe everything I have. Hey, man, I got it going on. But God gets no credit, and God gets no glory. There's this sense that he is where he is. And like he's always been there. And he does not recognize how he's arrived where he is. But watch this. How you view yourself will impact how you treat others. He looked at himself and said, I'm all of that. And then he looked down at everybody else. But watch the tax collector. Verse 13. Goes to the same place, standing and praying, talking to the same God. But what's the difference? The Bible says, first of all, he stood afar off and would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. He felt unworthy to face God and was in touch with his frailties and his humanity. He did not live or speak as if he had arrived, but he understood the constant battle a person is in in order to live a life that's pleasing to God. Listen, if you ever get to the point that you talk about what you would never do, all you are revealing is the ignorance of your inexperience. Because when you say, this is what I would never do, or I would never be in this position, what you are basically saying is you have never been there. Because if you were in that position, you would be surprised what you would do if you felt like you was between a rock and a hard place. Have I got a witness in here anywhere? And many of us pretend publicly to be something that we are not privately. Because we rather perpetrate a hoax than to live openly and in transparency out of the vulnerability of being who we really are. I'd rather pretend like I don't have any problems than share my problems and testify to how God's grace has brought me through. This sinner cried for mercy. This tax collector, he said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Because he recognized that he was in need of God's mercy. Can I tell you something? If you ever get to the place where you feel like you don't need the mercy of God, you are now parked on the street of self-righteousness. See, you can't come to God talking about how good you are. You can't come to God comparing yourself to somebody else. You should come to God saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Look at Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Let's read it together. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And I got news for you. You have been saved. If you are a Christian today, you have been saved by the grace of God. You didn't deserve salvation when you got it, and you don't deserve it now on the other side of salvation. You have been saved by grace. You have been sustained by grace. You are sanctified by his grace. All of your interaction with God is by grace. 
And when you recognize the prevalence of the grace of God in your life, you don't have room for pride. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, you need to realize you will be blessed when you humble yourself and allow God to exalt you instead of the other way around. You will be blessed when you humble yourself and allow God to exalt you instead of the other way around. What do you mean, Pastor? We are busy devising plans to exalt ourselves. What do I need to do to get in a position of prominence? What do I need to do to get into that ideal position? We exalt ourselves. And God says, no, I don't want you to exalt yourself. I want you to learn how to humble yourself. Now listen to me carefully. One of the greatest challenges you will have in life is to practice humility. After all, you got it going on. Oh, come on. You good looking, cute, handsome, smart, intelligent, even if you're a legend in your own mind. Right? I mean, you know, you, you may want to, you know, have a little humility, but I mean, after all, you know, you got to be honest. You know, you are all that. <laughs> and so we spend our time exalting when the greatest struggle in our life is humbling. It's humbling. See, we live like the old folks used to talk about people who walk around like they've got the world in a jug and a stop in their hand. We, we, we live as if the world is to revolve around us and everybody in our world is to revolve around us. After all, don't y'all know who I am? Husband, don't you know how blessed you ought to have me as your wife? Wife, don't you know how blessed you ought to have me as your husband? Don't you know how God has honored you by allowing me to be in your presence? And God says, you got to learn how to humble yourself. Because watch this. God says, if you don't humble yourself, I know how to humble you. God, God says, I know how to humble you. I, I, I know how to get you. You know, you know when God humbles you, it, it's like getting a whipping from your mama or your daddy in front of all your friends in public. You, you know what I mean? It, it's, one of them, it's one of them, you'll never forget it whippings. You know what I mean? God, God knows how to humble you. You can walk around in a spirit of pride all you want. You can walk around talking about, I'm so glad I'm not like them. And God says, instead of comparing yourself to them, why don't you look in the mirror and see about you and what you need to do to be the best that you can be? Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Do you know Jesus broke every rule that they could think of 
Because in their minds, the Pharisee was the one that was justified. The Pharisee was the one that was godly. The Pharisee was the one that was obedient. And Jesus says, no, it's not the Pharisee who had pride in himself, who compared himself to others, who looked down upon others that represented God. It's the one who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He left that church. He left that synagogue justified. He left that synagogue innocent, free from guilt, righteous. Why? Look at A. You must admit your sinfulness and unworthiness when you cry out to God. You must admit your sinfulness and unworthiness when you cry out to God. It doesn't matter what other people think. What matters is who you are before a holy God. See, when Jesus says this man left justified, the justified person wasn't righteous in his flesh. He was righteous by God. He was counted righteous by God. And that's the thing. That Pharisee never brought God into the conversation in terms of giving God the glory and giving God honor and giving God the credit and taking an honest assessment of himself to recognize that wherever he was, God brought him and whatever he knew, God taught him and wherever he was going, God was going to have to lead him. Whoever he had become, it was God who made him that. But he had a conversation with God about his goodness without giving God the credit or the glory. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. And some of you are too righteous even for God. Look at B. Because a proud approach is not pleasing to God. A proud approach to God is not pleasing to him. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To exalt yourself is to be elevated, to lift yourself up, to humble yourself literally means to depress, to abase, to bring low, to humiliate your own heart, to push yourself down. He says, when you elevate yourself, you will be humble. And when you humble yourself, you will be exalted. The difference is you can't elevate yourself but so high, but God can bring you real low. And I've learned the hard way, just when you think you hit rock bottom with God, God can dig a basement on your situation. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, and I'm not telling this to boast. I'm really telling this because I feel God is telling me to tell you this. Because I want to help somebody today. Um. When I came to Good Hope in 1994, um, I had been 
tremendously blessed with tremendous opportunities. And to be honest with you, had had experiences that when you look at the totality of my life, that very, very few preachers have ever experienced. You know, I've worked with some of the top pastors and leaders in the evangelical world, in the traditional church world. Um, I've, I've preached for and known some of the giants of preaching. And when I graduated from Dallas Seminary, um, I had this plan in my mind. Now, I've got to tell you, I knew all of the language of humility to use. But my spirit was not at a place of humility. Okay? Um, I was a church growth consultant, and I knew how to transition churches and old churches and breathe new life into them and had worked with churches around the country. So, man, I was excited to come to Good Hope. People asked me, said, man, why would you apply for Good Hope? There were several churches that were available in Houston. This was the only church I submitted a resume to, man. I was so excited about coming to Good Hope. And I would tell people, I said, man, Good Hope, this is the church that God, this is like, if I could have drawn up a church, this would have been the church that I came to. And when I would meet people and they would say, after I'd been here a year, two years, they would say, hey, man, how's it going at the church? i say, oh, we three years ahead of schedule. <laughs> I mean, after all, you know who that pastor is? It's me. It's D.Z. Cofield, man. I mean, I work with E.K. Bailey, Tony Evans, preached with Dr. Gardner Taylor. I mean, preached and taught all over the country, all over the world. I mean, come on. It's me, baby. <laughs> baby, we're three years ahead of schedule. And I looked at other preachers. And I would hear about the trouble and problems that pastors were having, both in their churches and personally. And I would say to myself, that'll never happen to me. That won't happen to me. See, they need to follow the word. They need to obey the word. They need to preach the word. They need to live by the word in Jesus' name, right? I ain't going to get too. And, uh, and then some things started happening in my life. And uh, some things that are happening that were out of my control, right? When I said I would never be in that situation, then all of a sudden I found myself in that situation. And I said I would never let that happen. And I found myself in that situation where it was happening and I had no control. And, and, and literally it was like, the bark being stripped off a tree. I mean, I mean, I'm being stripped. And, and now instead of being three years ahead, they'd ask me, they say, how's the church doing? I said, oh, we just, we just making it. And I remember praying one, one, one weekend, one week. I mean, I, I went through a real... I didn't even know I was going through this period of depression. This is while I'm pastoring here, y'all. I was going through a period of depression. I didn't even know I was depressed until after I came out of it. I would, I would cry on like Friday and Saturday in anticipation of Sunday. And then I would preach on Sunday and God would bless. I mean, God would bless. And then I'd cry Sunday afternoon after it was over. And I'd just sit there. I'd, just, I'd find a show to make me cry. I'd go to the Hallmark Channel somewhere. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going to find a show to make me cry. I'm just going to sit there and just cry. I used to try to fight the tears, and then I would get a headache, and I just said, you know, just start crying. Just cry, man. And there was one week when I talked to a friend of mine, and he told me, he said, man, he said, DC, it's not about you. He said, every time I have a conversation with you, you're talking about you and what you're going through. He said, it's not about you. This is about God. It's about the kingdom. And I was like, wow. Like, okay, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> but he is my best, one of my best friends in the world. And he told me the truth. He told me what I needed to hear. And I remember that week literally falling on my face before God. I'm talking about I'm on my face praying, and I'm telling God I am sorry for having let you down and let your church down. I used to tell people we were three years ahead. I was feeling by that time we were three years behind. I, I was telling people what I would never let happen in my life, and I saw it unfolding in my life. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. God, I, I'm sorry I let you down these last three years. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you how crazy it was. The devil came to me, and the devil said, leave the church. Say, you're not worthy to even stand up. See, you're not worthy to preach. You're not worthy to teach. And I'm arguing with the devil, but I ain't do, I ain't, I, the devil said, you're not worthy. And I'm praying to God, telling God, God, I am sorry I let you down. And I came to church that Sunday. And my key wouldn't fit in the side door where I normally would come in. And so I had to come around front. It was before church started. It was about 740. And I, so I was coming around, and I ran into a lady. I don't know who the lady was. If you ask me, I'm telling you it was an angel. Lady met me in the parking lot. And she said, Pastor, she said, I never get a chance to talk to you. I just want to tell you thank you. I said, really? She said, oh, my God. She said, you don't know how God has used you to minister to me since I've been here. And I said, you know what? I said, you have no idea how much it means to hear that from you today. She said, oh, absolutely. She said, every Sunday I come here, it's like you are preaching to me. It's like I'm the only one in this sanctuary. She said, and you have helped me grow so much. She said, and I never get a chance to tell you thank you. I'm so glad that I got a chance to see you today and tell you thank you. And I said, wow. I said, by the way, how long have you been coming to Good Hope? She said, the last three years. I go back to God and I'm praying. And, and I'm telling the Lord I'm not worthy. And God, I'm just grateful to be used. And the Holy Ghost said, you just found out you wasn't worthy? <laughs> said, so you mean when you had the appearance of righteousness based on your standards, you thought you were worthy then? The Holy Ghost said you've never been worthy. 
Can I tell y'all, I'm, I'm going to tell y'all something, and, and some of you may not know. That's why I don't, I don't dress fancy. That's why I don't have to wear tailor-made suits and wear, because what God showed me was that whenever I took myself too seriously, I took him too lightly. Right? I'm not trying to be anybody's hero. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That's all I'm trying to do. And when I stood there in my own self-righteousness, talking about I would never be like this pastor and I would never do this like that pastor, God said that was nothing but your pride. And can I tell you what God had to do with me? I, I had to write folk letters. I wrote folks some letters and apologize. They didn't even know I was being envious of them. Because I was like, I should be on TV. I can preach as good as him. Why am I not on the show? Why am I not? And God said, who are you? Who are you? You, you are nothing but an instrument that I have chosen to use. That's all you are. And it's simply by God's grace. And so, my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today. Don't make it about you. And one of those signs of self-righteousness is comparing yourself to somebody else. Husbands and wives, don't compare yourself to another couple. No, don't talk about... Well, you know, you, you should be a better wife. You should be a wife like she is or be a husband like she is. Can I tell you something? In public, that sister can look like a Proverbs 31 woman. And in public, he'll look like a 1 Timothy 3 ready to be a deacon or a bishop. And in private, you got the Battle of Armageddon going on. It's a, Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Just be the best you you can be by the grace of God. Be the best husband and wife you can be by the grace of God. Be the best mother you can be by the grace of God. Be the best father you can be by the grace of God. Be the best son, the best daughter you can be by the grace of God. And remember, no matter where you are in life, you are just a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God, and the same grace that'll save you can save somebody else. Come on, give God a hand of praise in this place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you, God, because... The more you bless us, the easier it is to be prideful in our lives. Because the longer we reside in blessings, the more we are prone to take credit for where we are as if we have always been here. But God, remind us from whence we have come. 
Remind us from where you have brought us. And God, help us to always have a spirit of thanksgiving. Not to take credit or glory in and of ourselves, but to always remember that it's in you we live, move, and have our being. And we say thank you. We thank you for who you are making us to be. And we pray now that we would all be inspired and encouraged, God, to continue that journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody who can, everybody who will, stand on your feet wherever.